Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. It's a different kind of a service. We're commissioning a family from our church to go as missionaries to Togo, West Africa, a very interesting and powerful service. I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn again to the book of Isaiah. We looked at Isaiah last week. We're going to look at Isaiah 46 and verses 8 through 11. There's a particular little phrase in this passage that caused me to choose it for today's message, and I hope to remember to be able to tell you when we get there. We've dedicated the service today to the single purpose of commissioning Daniel and Sherry Leathers, along with their children, to serve God as missionaries in Togo, West Africa. The population of Togo is around 7 million, and there's an economy that is dependent mainly on agriculture and natural resources. Like many African governments, the democracy is unstable. Um, That's the way most African governments are, uh, Daniel. It's unstable. There will be corruption in uh, government. Uh, Nothing, uh, uh, there's not even close to how clean and pure our government is. I was trying to find a nice way to say that there's no way. So it's a lot like the United States there in Togo. Half of the population of Togo is made up of tribal religions, about half. The other half of the population is kind of divided between Islam and some form of Christianity. I'm not sure, but I believe you're going to be in an area that is mostly Islam um, and, and tribal religions. So they are, they are going there into the belly of the beast, if you will. And they're taking their three children, Marcus, Luke, and Selah, <clears throat> going to Togo uh, to do something that will create a stir in that part of the world. You are going there literally to take your stand for Jesus Christ. That's why you're going to be there. Now, there are things that you'll be doing while you're there, but the entire time that you're there, Daniel and Sherry and the children, Marcus and Luke and and Selah, you'll find out that what you're really doing is being a representative of God, a representative of Jesus Christ. To that end, I have chosen Isaiah 46 and verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of of my counsel is from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. 
Now let's take this into context before we begin with a message. Taken into context, these are words to Israel about the role of Babylon, actually, in the judgment upon Israel. God would use Babylon to judge Israel, but God would not be conquered himself. To Israel, God makes a serious statement about himself and how it is pointless to serve anyone but him. As pointless as it is, most of the world serves someone other than the true and living God. Now to that end, I want to bring the message today, a challenge to serve the Lord, a challenge to stand with all-knowing, the all-knowing and the all-powerful God. First of all, when you go to Togo, Daniel and Sherry, there must be first the will to stand. There's going to have to be some, some grit, some determination. This is, this is going to happen. <clears throat> We're going to make this stand. The call to ministry has many facets, but not to be overlooked is the fact that when you're called into ministry, you're called to take a stand for God. People will see you in that light. They'll see you differently than in any other way. I tell the teachers who come to teach at North Florida Christian School, I remind them that they are teachers, yes, but before they're that, they're children's workers, they're youth leaders. They are here to minister God, to minister the heart of God and the heart of this church to the young people. And it becomes very evident when someone in our ministry does not minister from the heart of of God or from the heart of who we are. As a pastor, a pastoral staff member, a missionary, Christian school teacher, whoever it may be, you must take a stand, but it should be done with an understanding of who you're standing for. You'll not always be popular. You'll be a novelty. You'll, you'll be a novelty when you go in there, but you won't be immediately popular with everyone. You may not be popular with anyone when you first get there. You won't be universally loved, but as Joshua said, you'll have to make a decision. I think you've already made it. Joshua said, choose you this day who you'll serve. And so you have to to make the choice. The choice is already made, but when you go there, don't forget that this is the choice that was made. God called Israel to take a stand, and for good reason. The same reason for Israel to stand is reason enough for you and me. Verse 8 of our text, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Now, God said, remember this. Now, what did God want us to remember? We started with that verse. What did God want us to remember? In light of their issues with Babylon and their own tendency toward idolatry, they were to remember that he is the living God. That's the first thing to remember when you go to the mission field. Remember that God is alive. He's as alive as you are. He's as alive as, as the one sitting next to you. He's as alive as your children when you 
put your arms around them at night. God said to Israel, I want you to remember that I'm alive. Now let's see what God has to say just prior to prompting their memory. Backing up to verse 5, he says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? In other words, how are you going to set a frame of reference for who I am? He asked Israel. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. What he's saying to them is, you need to remember that I'm alive and all these other gods are dead. Everyone has some kind of God. Somebody will say, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Well, they may be an atheist, but they do believe in God. Everybody has a God. Some have made gods of of gold and images and some have made gods of silver. Some have made gods of, of jewels and stone. They've, they've fashioned gods. Some have made gods of, of a person of the past who died and is not alive today. Some have made gods in that area. Some people make gods of their possessions. And they, they live and literally worship uh, what they have. They make gods of their possessions of life. Or they make gods of, of their careers. Even their relationships, they, they make gods of their relationships. We adore our children, we adore our grandchildren, we adore our husbands and wives, but sometimes we go to the point of actually making them God in our lives. And what God reminded the children of Israel is, if you're going to take a stand, don't forget who you're standing for. You're standing for a living God. I am alive. There will be some lonely nights. There will be some lonely days. I can remember personally being on a short-term missions journey and being out of communication and away from everything and away from everyone. And I can remember laying in the bed and crying myself to sleep because I was so absolutely lonely and at a part of the world where I couldn't get back in a day or so. In those times, you got to remember that God is alive and that we worship the true and living God. First Thessalonians 1 9 says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. God is not cold. God is not lifeless. God is alive. He was not created. He was the the creator. And in all of the pressures of life and ministry, it is most important that we remember that God is alive. Not figuratively, but really. He's really alive And he's really active in our lives as evidenced by the fact that your whole world has turned upside down and you're going to go to another part of the world where you can't just drop in to see family. 
Sherry, remember that God's alive. Also recall, he said to Israel, my work in you. Remember that I'm alive and recall my work. He tells them to call to mind who he is and then reminds them of their own transgressions. I've been working in your lives. Don't forget this. We must understand that he is speaking here to unrepentant Israel and not holding uh, a a forgiven sin over their head. He's, He's wanting them to recall their own transgressions because they had not yet repented of those transgressions. But I think he would want us to recall, just as he told them, his work in us. When God forgives our sins, he remembers them no more. We need to remember that and recall how God works in your life. He was telling them that he was going to put, turn Babylon loose on them to work in their lives. He's turned some things loose in our lives to work on and in us through the, the years. God says we need to remember that. Daniel and, and Sherry, it is doubtful that you will ever feel worthy of the calling that God has placed on your life. I hope you don't. I hope you never feel worth it. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and have a bad feeling about yourself, but to have a great feeling about God and the, the power and how awesome it is to, be, to have been called into his service. It's humbling to think about your lives and how you got from being the age of your children to this place today. One day, you were sitting next to them the way your children are sitting next to you. I don't know that they cast a vision that would put you in Togo, West Africa. But I will tell you, they prayed for you. They wanted you, first of all, to be saved early in your life. And then when you got saved, they wanted you to live for the Lord and to live a good life and the right kind of life. And then they wanted you to be used in His service, whether it was through lay ministry or in full-time service. But you have to remember there was a day not too very long ago that these kids were you. And you, you can think back at all that God has done to bring you to where you sit today. And there will be these overwhelming moments that will come to you and, and you'll look back and you say, God, how you worked in my life. Daniel, there were avenues that you could have gone and, and, and probably thought about going and maybe wanted to go, and for some reason it either stopped or you lost the heart to do it or whatever it might have been, but it's something when you were 16 or 17 or when you were 20, there was something you said, well, maybe I want to do that, and, and somehow or another it stopped. The same for you, Sherry. And... Now today, you look back on the way God has worked in your life, and you say, well, that was it. God was moving to get me to this place today and to take me to where I'll be going tomorrow and where I'll find myself before too long. I hope you live the rest of your lives in service for God. And if you do, I can tell you something that will be true.
the longer you serve him, the more you realize that he could have chosen anyone else. I did not do God any favors by being a preacher. Oftentimes, I think I did him a disservice, Brother Leathers, <laughs> by being a preacher. Because I know there are a lot of people who God could have touched other than me. The longer I serve him as a pastor and a leader and a preacher of the gospel of the Bible, the longer I realize, you know, anybody around here would have been better at this. You have an awareness that you've been forgiven of your sins and called into this ministry. It's a humbling thing. And, and the question that I, I would have for you is this, in the midst of this humility that God will place in your life and on your life, will you stand for him? So the first thing is to have the will to stand. Now let me go to the second thing, and that is the way to stand. How are you going to stand? What will be the way of your standing? There are those who know the importance of taking their stand for God, but they fail to appreciate the way to stand. There are a lot of people that take a stand, and they just believe that that's it. That's all they have to do is just stand. I'll tell you one thing, I'm going to stand. I'm going to take a stand. But when they take their stand, oftentimes in taking their stand, they fail to understand that the way they take their stand will produce fruit or will kill the tree. Isaiah said, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. That, by the way, that little phrase right there is why I chose this passage. I am God and there is none like me. God calls Israel to remember. This time he asked them to remember what was and, and what is. First of all, what was. The reason that we come together for preaching and, and reading our Bibles and share testimonies is to maintain an appreciation for what God has already done, or as it was put in the Scripture, the former things of, of old. We cannot serve God in the past, but the past is relevant, relevant in serving God. You can't live in the past. You, can't, you, you cannot possibly uh, do all that God wants you to do or much of what God wants you to do by wishing it was like it used to be. It will never be like it used to be. It's not like it used to be now. All of us may wish that it was. I think it was Thomas Wolfe, the poet that said you can never go home again. It will never be like it used to be. That's just not going to happen. That being said, part of appreciating the way that it used to be enables us to serve God better today. No matter what you face, God has led others through the same waters that he is uh, going to lead you through. And you have to remember what has been with others, what has been in your own life. You're going to face a time out there when, when you say, am I just by myself? 
Am I the only one that this has ever happened to? I, I, cannot, I cannot believe that I've been led here to experience this. Well, at those times, you need to remember what was. It'll help you to stand. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way to a, of escape that you may be able to endure it. I want you to think of the word temptation there as trials and tests. In life, in the Christian life, and in our service for God, there are going to be those times when you feel alone and that no one has ever experienced what you're experiencing now. God's love for us is not a love that always exempts us from trials, but rather a love that sees us through the trials. Here's what George Mueller said. I say and say it deliberately, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeat are the very food of faith. <laughs> I need to preach this to myself more. Because it's tough not to see everything coming up roses all the time. It's tough not to experience the big victory all the time. It's hard. It's hard to wake up and realize, well, it's another day of plodding through. But you have to do that. You, you have to know, you have to appreciate what was in the lives of others and what has been in your own life in order to know the way to stand. As important, maybe more so than knowing what was, is to know what is. God said, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Now here's the thing to get. When serving God, you represent Him. That's the point. You represent God. To represent Him, you must understand who He is and, and what He is about. And that is true whether you are teaching Sunday school or blazing a trail in a remote village in Africa. You have to remember who God is. I want to give you four things to remember about who God is as you go. You've got to remember these. I've been in a series here for the last several uh, weeks called Truth, Love, and Worship. It's, it's what I believe and certainly want to be the DNA of our church, <clears throat> that we are a church that preaches the truth we're a church of love. We preach the truth in love. We have an understanding of, that God is holy and we worship God. Here's what I would say to you about God. The first thing is simple. God is love. He really is love. No matter the urgency of the truth, no one will hear the message if it doesn't sound like love. People say, I like that hard preaching. Well, you know, I enjoy it too, but I'll tell you this. I can't stand hard preaching that's not love preaching. You can preach hard and love at the same time. God is love. And since God is love, we've got to represent Him as love. We've, we've got to understand that at the end of the day, regardless of 
what kind of an encounter we've had with someone in the government or someone in a village or someone uh, under, in, in the, uh, under the leadership of our ministry or, or whoever it may be, we've got to understand that at the end of the day, we still must be able to represent God to them. And we will not represent God to them if they cannot sense God's love coming from us. It just won't happen. It just won't happen. A famous theologian wrote these words. I think they're great. He said, love is the key, joy is love singing, peace is love resting, long-suffering is love enduring, kindness is love's touch, goodness is love's character, faithfulness is love's habit, gentleness is love's self-forgiveness, self-control is love holding the reins. It's got to be loving. Got to be loving. Put, wherever you're living over there, put love reminders up all over the place, not only to love one another, but to remind you to love the people and to remind you to do so in the love of God. I will tell you this, there are times when the only way you can love somebody is in the love of God because they're such stinkers, plenty of stinkers. But you can't, you know, if, if, we, if we waited until we deserved God's love to be loved, my goodness, we'd never have been loved. So we love with the love of God. That's the way to stand is with the understanding that God is love. Here's the, the second thing. God is not only love, God is holy. To represent God from a reprehensible life simply will not stand. We know who God is, but those to whom we minister do not know who he is or what he is. We represent him and must do so without sullying his character with our behavior. In other words, you have to always be on, always. There, there can never be a time when you forget who you are. Now, have there been times when you forgot who you are? Well, I'll just answer it for you. Yes, there have been. Will there probably be more? Maybe. But I hope in those times you'll remember back to this that you are living God before the lives of people who've not really seen God. God is love. That's what is. God is holy. That's what is. God is sovereign. We'll come to this again, but remember this. This is tough. God doesn't need you. He just doesn't. Now, I know we stand up and preach, God just needs you in his work. I appreciate that and I understand that. But what really is, is saying is that we need to be in God's work. God is sovereign. You don't think God's big enough to take care of it? He has chosen us. I think of this verse when I think of, of the reality that God really doesn't need me. 1 Corinthians 1, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The way to stand in service for God is to do so with an understanding that God could have done this without you, but he chose to do it with you. And, and hopefully you responded to him, and not only with your outward actions, but with your, your inward heart. Here's what is. God is love, and God is holy, and God is sovereign. And then there's this. God is unique. I'm going to read the whole phrase again. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. 
Here's what our problem is. We want God in our box. We want God to fit what we know. We want God to fit inside of our own frame of reference. We want God to be like us. We don't want to be like God. And God is unique. You will soon discover that God has no nationality. God's not American. God's not French. God's not Argentine. I don't know what Togo people call themselves, but God wasn't born in Togo. Um, God is, has no nationality. Now, we've nationalized God. We really have. In fact, what, what's really happened is that we've taken our model and we've tried to lay our model on everything else that relates to God. So many missionaries go to the field trying to make American Christians out of the people who live on the other side of the world. When the reality is that God has no nationality. And, and I will say this, that in the light that we're speaking, God has no color. There's no color to God. He says, well, what is he? Well, he's unique. Yeah, but I've got to have something. No, you don't. God is spirit, and those who worship him worship him in spirit and in truth. Somebody may ask you, what color is my God? God has no color. God loves all colors. God loves all nationalities. Here's one that's going to sit in somebody's crawl. God has no political party. He doesn't. God is, is uh, he's not a libertarian. He's not independent. He's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. God is not, he, God's not hyphenated, uh, any, hyphenated anything. God is God. He has no economic class. We have a tendency sometimes to think that some people are just too far down for God and some people are too far up for God. But God is unique. God has none of that. No economic class, no nationality, no political party, no, none of that. There is none other like Him. Let's get it. Let's get it that God is unique. His uniqueness is so powerful that we can represent him around the world and know that God loves every person that we would represent him to and God wants to have a relationship with every person on this earth. The absolute uniqueness of God brings the world together under his wing. And our message is God's message, not the message of our culture. It is the message of our creator. And you can stand in Tallahassee or Togo if you understand that you are standing for the true and the living God. So what have we seen? Well, we've seen the will to stand, the way to stand. The worth of standing is the next thing. Isaiah 46 and 10. Declare the end from the beginning, ancient times not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. What do you think God means by that? Well, I think he says, means this, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. 
That's what I think he means. The worth of standing is a couple of things. First of all, it's simple history. The God you serve is the one who can declare all things from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the God that you're serving. That's the God who's going with you. Oh, I'm afraid to fly. I don't want to take that long, long flight. I'm so scared up here. Well, I want to tell you something. God who created the heavens and the earth is with you up there. God who created the heavens and the earth is with you wherever you go. What will my children be like being raised in Togo? Well, if you raise them according to God's principle, you'll understand that God can raise up a child on the mission field to be happy and joyous and still love grandparents. That's vital. And to serve him. The same God who spoke the world into existence, who causes the rain to fall, who so loved the world that he gave his only son. That is the God who you're standing for. He is worth the stand. Not only is he the God of history, but he's the God of prophecy. He's the God of things not yet done. Their souls not yet saved. God is the God of them. Their blessings and judgment yet to come over which God is the God. God is the power of the past and he's the prophecy of the future. This is God. This is the God you're going to serve. This is the God who has chosen to call you. As you go, wherever you go, he will lead. This is worth your stand. You're standing for God. Now here's the final thing, and that is the wisdom in standing. What's the wisdom in what you're doing? Over the last several months, a couple of years, have you ever asked yourself, have I lost my mind? Are we just crazy? I want to tell you something, Sherry. I love you and I've known you a long time. You are not crazy. Daniel? (laughs) A little bit. But there's some wisdom in what you're doing today. Verse 11 says, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, I have purposed, and I will do it. Two things here. First of all, the calling. Do you remember when Elijah was called to dwell by the brook? I pronounce it Kirith. I guess there are a lot of people pronounce it different ways. In 1 Kings 17, 3, depart from here and and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kirith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. It's interesting. God called Elijah, and God called a raven. (laughs) Isn't that something? That's humbling, actually. Lest any of us get haughty about the position to which God has called us, we have to remember that he has called many much greater than us, and he has called lesser created, uh, lesser of his creation to also serve his purpose. God has done that. As Paul said, I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We have to understand that the calling, we're a part of it. Now, there are going to be some people 
In fact, I don't know a lot about the mission field, but I know this, that one of the most difficult parts of being on the mission field is getting along with other missionaries because you're kind of thrown together. Your friends behind you can tell you a little bit about that maybe. You're kind of thrown together. You've got to love each other. You know what else you have to do? Appreciate the calling that you have. Appreciate the fact that they have a different gift and, and a different, uh, they come from a different angle and, and so forth and so on and that, that you're a body and God put a little microcosm of the body there in, in West Africa and, and those people that you're drawn to will hopefully be drawn to you but, but the whole time you have to appreciate the calling. And there will be times when you'll broaden that appreciation to, to some African face who gets saved and is equally called as you. You do not become a Lord over them. You become a brother uh, or a fellow servant, a sister with them, and, and you appreciate their calling, and you realize that God has called the man of God from afar, but he's also called a raven to feed Elijah. God can use so many scenarios and so many people. So the wisdom of the calling is, or the wisdom of the stand is the calling. And then finally there's this certainty. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. I believe it was Packer. I'm not sure that it was him, but I believe it was Packer who wrote, Find where God is doing a work and try to get in on it. I like that. God will accomplish his work and he wants to use you and those who are supporting you. You are on the field because of God and his decision to, to use you. He wants you. He wants you in his work and he wants to bless you in his work, but he wants you to understand and, and feel confident that he is alive and that his work is going to be done and it might as well be done through you. It might as well. God is indeed sovereign, and his sovereignty has given you the chance to participate in his kingdom work. God's sovereignty must not foster hope that you will be spared all difficulty, uh, but to foster confidence that when those difficulties come, you are not abandoned, and you won't be abandoned. And so there you are. You're going to go. You sold your house in Tallahassee. You've already got a lot of things packed up. You've predetermined some things you'll take with you and some things you'll sell or give away, leave behind. You've thought about how to educate your children. You've thought about what the first day might be like. You've had a lot of considerations. Now it's time to go. It's this service to me is a little like the time I pronounce a young man and a young woman husband and wife. And when they're pronounced husband and wife and they have pledged themselves to one another and they kiss and they walk out the aisle, I think to myself, there they go. This is it. Parents cry, but they're rejoicing at the same time. 
loved ones thought it was beautiful. And they're filled with anticipation to see what's going to happen. No different today. I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to call you up, and we're going to do something what I would consider to be rather unique in our church. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that as we close this service and come to this final aspect of this commissioning, I pray that your hand of great blessing and joy will be upon these two and be upon all who have come to participate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I'd like for the whole church to stand. Would you all stand? We're going to commission this family. We're going to pray for them. Some of you sitting in this service today will never see their faces again. But you will remember the day that you sent them out and you prayed for them. What you should do is take your smartphone and you should put a day of the week and put their name at a certain time of day of the week and be reminded to pray for them. That's the way I set reminders to pray for myself and pray for others. And then when that smartphone message comes up, you say, oh Lord, I want to pray for the leathers in Togo. God, I don't even know what time it is over there. But I want your hand to be on them. Let them rest well tonight. Let them feel strong in your service. Let's all bow our heads together. Father, as we are joined together, this is a unique time, unlike any other time that we've had in the 20 one, almost two years that I've been the pastor here, and maybe ever, I don't know. But Lord, we are privileged to be the sending church for the Leathers family. And it is our prayer that as they go from this place, that they will go, Lord, um, in a unique understanding and uh, and sense of blessing from this church to their lives. I pray that you go before them, with them. I pray that in great times they will have great rejoicing, and I pray that in difficult times they will have great memories of your hand of faithfulness and blessing. Lord, I pray for their children. I pray that these children will grow up in such a way that they will become... uh, outstanding young people and outstanding adults who are not only serving you but pleasing mom and dad and I pray that that you will send them on in their lives to see powerful and wonderful things happen through their lives as well and for Daniel and Sherry I do pray that when they come to the end of the road that they will look back And they will be able to say, Jesus led me all the way. We send them to Togo. And we do so with our love and our prayers, our approval, our great joy. 
and the humble understanding of this honor that you have bestowed upon this church to participate in their lives. We ask this in the great and strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.